This is the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast. This is VP. We are a solutions-based podcast, diving into the world of contrarian investing and alternative finance. You can find us hosted on the No Nonsense Forex YouTube channel, nonsenseforex.com, and podcast players everywhere. Episode 89 is brought to us by Bybit. The February promotion is still going on all throughout the month of February. If you trade 10,000 USD worth of volume, which is not tough to do with leverage, and then you have at least $100 in your trading account, then you apply for a $50 ETH airdrop. This is eligible for 20 traders and will be distributed sometime in the middle of March. So check the rewards hub for that and best of luck to all. Uh, but you must be one of my traders to apply for this, so make sure you've clicked the link down below in the description and get yourself started. The crypto market is moving. It's a great time to trade. It's a great time to trade with Bybit because membership has its rewards. It is the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast, and uh, we are already at episode 89, and I do not think we have done one dedicated episode to copper yet, so it is high time we do that. Uh, now, timing-wise... Is it a great time to enter the copper game now if you haven't done so? Uh, stay tuned to the end of the episode for my thoughts on that. Remember, it's not financial advice. It never is. Uh, but timing does matter a bit here. Uh, but as we also know, timing in uh, the natural resources market is almost impossible to do. So just keep that in mind as well. Uh, but there is a very interesting setup going on right now in the world of copper, to say the least. Uh, now let's review, if you remember the copper video I put out on the No Nonsense Forex YouTube channel back, uh, I don't know, two years ago, two and a half years ago, uh, you will remember that one of the biggest bull cases for copper is not only is it in everything, uh, now it doesn't deteriorate very easily, so it can stay in everything, but you still need it for everything. And that includes all the things that Western governments are mandating their countries have in terms of electrification of the grid, electrification of energy, electrification of vehicles. You know, you need a lot of copper for this. It's non-negotiable. Um, you also need a lot of silver, by the way, but that's another story. Now, some of you out there might be saying, well, none of these mandates are going to work. These mandates are stupid. They're not feasible. You know, it's never actually going to happen. So my response to that is, it doesn't really matter. They're not going to figure this out, probably. Let's say you have a mandate to where you have to have, you know, 90% electric cars on the road by 2035. They're not going to really figure out that this isn't going to work until about 2030. You know, these governments just put their heads down and keep right on with these mandates, despite whether or not they work. We've seen this with energy already in Europe. You know, out of desperation, Germany has turned to coal. But the governments and the EU are just pressing right on and saying, no, this is still what you have to do. They don't stop. They don't admit their error. They have a plan, and they have put it in place, and they expect it to go. So what this has done for things like copper in particular is make the overall copper demand charts go up. And these uptrends do not look to be tapering off anytime soon. Okay, so this is fine as long as copper supply keeps up with this. And therein lies the problem. A very big problem. A very, very big problem. In terms of production, currently, copper is pretty even. It's flatlined pretty much for the last five, six years. You know, little bumps up, little bumps down, but very small. 
And almost every predictive chart I have looked at says that this same sustained level of production is probably good for another couple years. Now, this is still not good. With demand going up and supply flatlining, this is certainly not what you want as a company, as a government, but this is what you want as an investor. Uh, but where it gets really intriguing is what happens after those next couple years. Copper production is expected to go off of a cliff for many reasons. One, the grades are falling. And we've talked about grades in the past on this show. Grades is, you know, how much copper can you get out of you know, your standard unit of dirt? We are already looking at close to a 50% decline in that category. So you have to mine twice the amount of dirt just to get the exact same amount of copper that you did before. This is significant. Uh, But here's where it gets really, really scary. Now, unlike gold and silver, you know, anybody who's uh, done the whole mining stock roulette knows that you have exploration companies in gold and silver. You know, they go out and they try to find the mines. Every once in a while they do. When they do, the stock goes bananas. And they either build a mine or sell it off to somebody else, whatever the case is. And this is how we find new gold and silver mines. According to the last stat I saw, the world, not just one country, the world has not discovered any new copper mines at all in the last 25 years. Or else they've discovered like one. And that one wasn't a really big one. Some of the copper mines you see right now are over 100 years old. Now, they're really cool if you ever see the pictures. The pits go way, way, way down. But a lot of these mines are getting more and more tapped out as time goes on. In the future, we're going to need more and more copper to do the things that we want to do, or to do the things these governments want to do. And it's just not going to be there because we simply can't keep up. And oh, another big reason. Uh, We talked about, what was it, episode like five, when we talked about jurisdictional risk. There's a reason why we did that episode so early, because it plays into so many different sectors of mining that we like to invest in here. And you guys know jurisdictional risk for things like gold and silver and uranium and uh, your platinum group metals, it's a really big deal. You need to pay attention to it. Uh, In copper, you can magnify this by about a factor of 10. Because it is a holy mess out there. Now, we spoke in that video about how Peru and Chile are by far your two top copper-producing countries in the world. We'll get to that. Uh, Let's see who rounds out the rest of the the top eight here. So I'm looking at a chart from the World Economic Forum, believe it or not. And after Chile and Peru, let's see who we have. Oh, we have China. Uh, Yep, not seeing any of that. Unless you're in China, you're not seeing any of that. All right, who we got next? Oh, uh, look who it is. It's the Democratic Republic of Congo, where all the outrage over the cobalt mines are happening right now. Uh, Now, miners and investors have made a lot of money investing in this region in the past, but they have also lost a lot. There is certainly a lot of jurisdictional risk here, and even more so now that it has the exposure that it just gained, unfortunately, over the last three months. Okay, now after that, looks like you have the United States, which is good, but keep in mind they are producing just over one-fifth of the production that Chile produces. So how comforting is that really? And then after that, you have a three-way tie between Zambia, Indonesia, and Russia, and we won't be seeing any of that Russian copper either. 
Oh, I'm sorry. You actually had Australia one tick ahead of those three countries, which is pretty good, too. Um, yet, as we've seen before, some of those companies are only on the ASX, which means a lot of other countries, especially in the Western Hemisphere um, have a, or in Europe, really, have a really hard time getting their hands on some of those stocks. So as an investor, it's almost irrelevant. Uh, so needless to say, this is not the jurisdictional risk layout that you really want to see. This is very, very unfavorable. Uh, now, why is it unfavorable, VP? Uh, Peru and Chile seem fine. Not too much turmoil there. Uh, you would be wrong. Uh, all of South America, save maybe one or two countries, uh, loves, loves to vote for socialists. And then you can almost set your watch to it. Maybe one year, two years later at the most, everybody just gets all pissed off because they have a socialist in office. And then they end up voting in another one. It's, it's really weird. Yeah, welcome to South America. Uh, but President Castillo, who I mentioned in that copper video, did not last long and became absolutely hated, got ousted, and now there's protest and outrage all over Peru. Um, this is a really, really big problem for the mining sector because the mining sector is so contested out there in terms of, you know, it's such a big part of their economy, but there are environmental concerns, there are indigenous land concerns out there, just like there have always been. And they're going to strike while the iron's hot in terms of overall outrage and unrest. And these groups are going to make their voices heard. Now, the problem, especially with Peru, what's going on right now uh, is, you know, the infrastructure isn't like you would see in the United States or Canada or even in China. You know, you could have one main road that leads out to four or five very large copper mines, and if protests shut that road down, uh, which is not super hard to do, those mines can't operate. Supplies, fuel, food for the workers can't come in and copper cannot come out. And you're seeing a lot of this go on right now. I see stories come out almost every week about this. Um, you also have a very large copper producer in Panama called First Quantum. Um, that everything was going really well until the government decided that they wanted to raise the royalties by about 10 times what they were before, and you know, that that's not sustainable for a mine. And so the government of Panama just said, okay, we're nationalizing and we're taking that mine now, uh, which never, ever works out well because governments don't know what they're doing. They know what they're doing even less when they try to take over something that they're not good at. You know, but when copper has this much value attached to it, and remember this, contrarians, it's probably going to have a lot more value attached to it down the road. You know, these unscrupulous and often backwards governments are going to take advantage of that. They're going to use that leverage and very seldom for the ways you want them to use it. You know, I've lived in Panama. You know, natural resources wise, apart from maybe trees, you know, Panama doesn't have a lot going for it. So it's going to take advantage of what it does have going for it. You know, to where some place like the United States or Canada, you wouldn't have to worry about something like this as much. Uh, now, in Chile, it's a little bit of another story. It's not as bad as, as Peru. You don't have just uprising everywhere. Uh, but their 35-year-old socialist president, Gabriel Boric, has not done a great job with their mining sector at all. Um, his approval rating is at an all-time low. And I don't even think he's been in office for two years at this point. I could be wrong on that. I should have looked it up. Uh, but the honeymoon is over fast with these socialist presidents, uh, and it causes problems, and this always, always trickles down into the mining sector in these countries. 
And things like this just cannot afford to happen. They can't afford to happen now. They can't afford to happen going forward. And like I said before, the more valuable copper becomes, the more likely these things are to occur. So how do we play it? Well, out of all the sectors we have really talked about here, the copper sector is the most difficult to find actual stocks. Even though it's not really that hard, you just have to do a little bit of work. But we spoke in the past about the one main ETF, uh, ticker symbol COPX. That's going to be your copper miners. Um, but if you unpack it, it's mostly more generalized miners. You don't have a lot of pure play copper stocks in there. You know That might be a good thing to you. That might not be a good thing to you. Uh, if you're looking for actual huge copper producers, we've spoken about quite a few of those on our Big Miners podcast episode, uh, which was a really big episode looking back at it. You know, if you hold stocks like BHP or Rio Tinto, uh, you have some really good copper exposure because th those are some of your biggest copper producers in the world. Now, one of the reasons I've always liked BHP so much is because you also get a lot of uranium there too. Now, you're also going to get a lot of base metals which don't always perform well. Uh, but as we've kind of seen in the past, especially with BHP, when iron ore went crazy, so did BHP. So it, if it has any of those minerals in it and they tend to rise, the stocks are going to rise too more often than not. Um, but some of your larger, more pure play stocks are going to be like Freeport McMoran, uh, ticker symbol FCX, Southern Copper, ticker symbol SCCO, uh, and then Arrow, copper, which is out of Brazil, I believe, ticker symbol ERO. Uh, so those are good places to start. If you want even more pure play, then you're going to have to go more towards the juniors. And that's a rabbit hole you're going to need to find on your own. I can't really help you there without exposing some of the, the stocks that I have. You know, I kind of play the top and the bottom with this in terms of uh, producers and juniors. Um, but I'm certainly leaving some cash available to buy more exposure. Now, the question of when is a big problem here. A lot of people in the industry say that they don't see the price of copper going up a whole lot this year, and there's a pretty good possibility that it goes down. So just take that for whatever it's worth. That's not me talking. That's them talking. They're actually closer to this industry than I am, so I would listen to them more than I would listen to myself. Uh, now, we spoke a few episodes prior about China restarts. This is the reason why the copper price in the last three months has gone up the way it has. You know, what is that going to look like? Is this going to be for real? Is this going to be a disappointment? Is Chairman Xi going to go nuts and take everybody back into COVID lockdowns? We don't know. Um, but there is a chance this whole China reopening takes copper to a certain price and maybe even higher and then possibly never looks back. And the one thing, especially in this sector, probably more than any other sector we talk about, maybe short of something like silver, possibly uranium, you do not want to get left behind. You're going to want to have some exposure. You know, so what do you do? Well, like we talked about in the very last episode, you can just be historically correct and get some now because, you know, we're playing for the next five, seven years, probably forward in this sector anyway. And if you're okay with that, then buying some now I don't think is a terrible idea. And then allowing yourself some extra money to average down over time, you know, you could certainly do worse. You know, so I don't have a great answer for you here, but just keep those factors in mind in the near term and in the mid to long term. 
Uh, but I hope we've done a good job of going over all of those factors and going over all those factors for the short, medium, and long term on this episode. Uh, because I have a chance we'll be revisiting copper again on this podcast at some point. I just don't know how long it's going to be. Uh, so as always, take the information I give you and go run with it. I'm totally fine with buying things now that may not produce for another five to seven years because when they do produce, the results can be absolutely extraordinary. So I don't think I'm crazy for taking action now because I think in this sector in particular, you really don't have any choice but to be early.